I know that this offensive line will be a massive hindrance for, you know, any kind of however you define success for the Titans. Welcome to the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Friday, everybody. JT, producer JT, back in the studio with us today. He has been DNP all week with an illness, but he's got the yellow practice jersey on today and he's out here in limited fashion. <laughs> JT, how are you, man? Are you feeling better? I'm doing good. Yeah. I mean, I feel um you feel better than you sound i feel better than i sound you know okay Um, good that's all that's all we want just lost my voice this week and trying to get it back slowly but surely this week um i'm today's episode is kind of going to be the chris collinsworth thursday night football game for me (laughs) okay yeah yeah yeah. it's gonna be a kind of suspect voice day but but the content will be good nonetheless yes correct so we are actually recording this on friday morning which is different than our typical um, we usually do Thursday night and it'll be out first thing Friday morning. So when you're seeing this a little bit later on Friday, that's why we had a little scheduling issue, but uh, we're getting it to you on Friday nonetheless. So stop your complaining. JT, uh, we're up bright and early here. JT, you you tell me you were at Darts League last night until the wee hours of the morning. First of all, how late were you out? Second of all, what what? tell me about Darts League. Uh, yeah, so recording this at like what? 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning right now uh-huh. yeah um yeah darts league was intense last night and took us to the wee wee hour of 3 a.m last night <laughs> why why um because i play in a i play in a restaurant league so they can't start it until like 11 30 you know they play um, in the restaurants after they've closed is that no no okay. <laughs> no all the all like it's all it's, restaurant it's, staff it's a bunch of team and stuff. yeah a bunch of okay. restaurant staff makes up all the teams um so they can't start until like 11 30 or so gotcha. um because that's when restaurants close but i mean it, it is so most of the time it's pretty nice you know you play for like an hour hour and a half but then there's sometimes where the games are just you're, you're just going back and forth and we there's like a whole scoring sheet and everything and you that's get down to that final game and you, sometimes you find yourself there till 3 a.m that is intense uh on a on a weeknight Certainly not, certainly, yeah, cer- old certainly man not here, the but... best uh, for my voice either, but you know, I oh, got sure to be there for my team, you know? I, no, I understand. On today's show, um, I don't have a, a grand monologue prepared for you today. I, I had an idea for what I wanted to talk about, but I'm pushing it off because I think it might be more applicable after this third game for the Titans, kind of kind of gambling on this narrative that I'm spinning in my head continuing to play out for them but we'll see um so that might be the monday topic today got a couple of things i want to just touch on before we get into the rest of the show and then it'll be pretty standard friday show we've got our james foster friday segment james stopped by once again to talk about what he saw in the film last week as well as looking ahead to this raiders game on sunday he's got some really interesting things um the best spot he's done i think with us this fall that you're gonna find fascinating in the interview so you definitely want to stick around for that of course the news of jt we'll get into everything titans related this week and then we've got our best bet gauntlet segment to wrap up per the usual arrangement before we get into the news i wanted to talk about um just uh, this is a, a very small thing but I, I sent out a poll yesterday on twitter asking 
Titans fans and my followers who they thought the more concerning matchup for the Titans offensive line was going to be this week. Was it going to be Nicholas Petit Frere versus Max Crosby on the right side of the line? Or would it be Dennis Daly versus Chandler Jones on the left side of the line? Daly filling in for Lawan at left tackle. And there were over 300 votes. 92% of you said Daly versus Chandler Jones, which on the surface makes total sense. Obviously, I kind of expected it to be that way when I sent the poll out. But it was kind of a trap poll because I don't think people realize Titans fans in particular, they hear Chandler Jones and they immediately get Vietnam flashbacks to Taylor Lewan allowing was a five, six sacks against Chandler Jones one on one in the Cardinals game to open the season last year. And uh, they think he's still that guy. Now, he may still be that guy, but I was looking into his year so far. I haven't paid a ton of attention to the Raiders. So I, I knew, you know, oh, the Raiders have Chandler Jones now. That shouldn't bode well for the Titans. Let me go and look to see how he's done. He's played 138 snaps through two games and only has four pressures. I was listening to a Raider a Raiders beat writer earlier this week. I forget where and who. My apologies to this person, but they were talking about how so far the Raiders faithful and Raiders organization isn't super jazzed with Chandler Jones and that sizable investment that they made in him. So Titans fans have to hope that he continues to underwhelm in this game. And if so, only four pressures on almost 140 snaps. If Dennis Daly can can hold him off, you know, and do better than Taylor Lewan did last year at the very least, which is an incredibly low bar. But um, and I don't think anybody has a ton of faith in Dennis Daly. I, I think that there's a good argument to be made that the Titans should be rolling with Dylan Radins at left tackle from here on out instead of Daly. But um, James Foster and I talk a little bit about that later in the show. I just found that fascinating. I think Max Crosby, this this beat writer in this same interview was talking about how the the saving grace of the Raiders pass rush has been Max Crosby, who is absolutely a monster and has been a monster through two games. So it's going to be a massive, massive test, I guess is the best way to say it for Nicholas Petit Freire this weekend. They they reportedly don't switch sides at all, so it won't be a situation where their best pass rusher is trying to target Dennis Daly. For the most part, it will be Max Crosby versus Nicholas Petit Freire on the right side of the line. And I think it'll be maybe even a bigger test for him, especially in pass protection, than it was last week against the Bills, because this is a serious, serious matchup that that the rookie is going to have to deal with. A couple of other small little things, um, and we'll get into some some more interesting tidbits in the news segment. But I, I wanted to point out just how poorly the Titans have been in every drive of the game so far this year outside of their first drive. Now, this is an article that I've been trying to write for about three days now, and I've just been so incredibly busy doing all of these things, wearing all these different hats at broadwaysportsmedia.com. I've put out a, the most content this week than I ever have, I think. We did an hour on Monday night after the Bills game. I did an hour with the Mike Herndon show that came out last night, um, which was fantastic. Did a bonus episode with Sam Phelan um, on Wednesday, I believe doing another hour show now. Like I think I have four hours of audio out there this week. Um, and so I've just had no time to write, but I've started to put together this article and it'll be out. I hope tomorrow we'll see um, if not next week. Cause I think this is another thing that may, I'd be surprised if this doesn't continue in terms of narrative on Sunday with the Titans. 
their opening drives have been fantastic this season, which if you are old enough to remember last season with the Titans, that was their thing, that the opening drive was awful, that they were terrible out of the gate. And it always took about a quarter for their offense to, if not get on the board, look capable of scoring more than once. Um, And this I'm going to compile all these stats. I have compiled these stats for the article, but I don't want to just spoil the article here on the podcast. If you look at and compare last season's opening scripted drives to this season so far and granted a small sample size, it's night and day. And what's the difference? Last year, Todd Downing was the one doing all of that scripting. Or at least that's what we're led to believe. This year, you got a guy named Tim Kelly in there who we've talked quite a bit about from the Houston Texans, guy that Mike Rabel was looking to hire as the new offensive coordinator the year that Todd Downing was hired. Kelly wasn't hired because the Texans blocked the interview. He was still employed by the Texans at the time. Kelly's the guy, lest I need to remind you, he's the guy that was the offensive coordinator for the Texans. All of those years that Sean Watson and those Texans teams with Billy O'Brien won the division over and over and over. Very, very good offensive coordinator. He's now in there in his shadowy role that I forget the title. It's something like senior offensive advisor, basically shadow coordinator, essentially. We the offense man. He he his job is very undefined, um, but clearly he has a significant impact in that room. And there's just no way that Tim Kelly, or excuse me, no way that Todd Downing got this much better at his opening drive scripting this season as compared to last, just the flip of the switch. Because this year, there's a chart that I'm going to include uh, per Arjun Menon, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, I believe he's with PFF. He's is an is NFL data analyst, and he put out a chart on Twitter earlier this week that I'll have in the article looking at teams' scripted plays EPA versus non-scripted plays EPA, which is essentially the EPA on the first drive or two of the game for each team versus the EPA per play on every drive following those first scripted plays for each team. The Titans through two games are only worse than the Bills on EPA per play on scripted drives. They have touchdowns in both of their first two drives. If you remember back to the first two games, they looked really competent on offense on both opening drives. 0.4 EPA uh, plus 0.4 EPA per play on scripted plays. Again, the second best in the entire league by a pretty significant margin. On non-scripted plays, they are by far the worst team in the league. Very bottom, number 32. Now, what does that tell us about the offensive coordinator position for the Titans? And this is the crux of the article that I'm writing. Todd Downing is horrible at adjusting to what is going on around him in game. He's fantastic when Tim Kelly's and I again, this is we don't know this. We're probably never going to know this, but I'm willing to put my tinfoil hat on here and say that Tim Kelly is the one scripting these opening drives. I I refuse to believe that Todd Downing got this much better in one offseason. At the very least, Tim Kelly is sitting there leaning over Todd Downing's shoulder as Todd, quote unquote, puts together the opening drive, whispering sweet nothings into his ear. This is just yet another example of why Tim Kelly should be given the reins of this offense and why Todd Downing, nothing against, he's a very nice man in my limited time speaking, interacting with him. He's a, he's a nice guy. I feel bad ragging consistently on him or anybody. He's just not good at this. And so the, the Titans need to, 
at the very least, and I, I, we know that Vrabel's not going to fire Downing midseason. It's not going to happen. It's not how he operates. But what they need to do is Vrabel needs to, behind the scenes, quietly just start shifting more and more offensive play calling and offensive scheme responsibility over to Downing. He needs to slowly start to transition that power or to uh, Kelly, rather, away from Downing. He needs to slowly transition that power to Kelly if this offense is going to improve over the year. Uh, that's what I believe is is the the boat that the Titans find themselves in. So that's my my little rant for the day. Again, that article that I'm going to have coming out soon, we'll have a lot more on that, and I think you'll find it fascinating. Let's get to JT with the news. All right, getting into the news here for your Friday morning. Um, basically, all we have really today is just the laundry list of injuries on both sides of this matchup here. Which is more than enough to build a news segment, really. Exactly. We'll go with the biggest name probably on there, which has gotten the most attention, Taylor Lewan. Um, mm. A lot of places were saying he's done for the year. And as the week has progressed, we've seen that he might not be done. Uh, a lot of people getting reports that he's not wearing a brace on it, no limp, he's looking fine. Um, but uh, one report came out that he definitely is going to get that second opinion. Uh, I saw a tweet where someone had a picture of him just with a sleeve on that leg mm-hmm. in the airport, most likely going to get a second opinion away from Titans camp. So that'll be something to watch, of course. Right. I, I think that picture was of him, I believe, at LAX. So he he went and traveled to get a second opinion earlier this week. It was reported initially by Buck Rising over at A to Z Sports that that Lawan was feared to be done for the year. Now the Titans are continuing to test and take their time. They haven't put him on IR yet, and they have put others on IR the past couple of days. So I don't think it's a done deal that he's done for the year. But um, I think a short-term IR stay is inevitable it's just a matter of time and i would be i mean i'd be floored if he was not done for the year myself um i think and again i'm tinfoil hat playing doctor here i'm guessing this is a situation where he's probably got a partially torn um ligament in his knee whether it's that acl tearing again or an mcl or whatever it may be it's one of those things where they're questioning whether or not with the damage that's been done um it's still intact but can he reasonably play on it is probably what they're trying to determine. And, you know, that's a relative thing. It's when you've got a, a, a frayed or partially torn ligament in your knee. Yeah, it still is functional. And, um, you know, you could play on it, but there it does. It's not healing itself, right? It's just a matter of time that like it's the tread on the tire. The tread's not going to grow back if you let it rest. It's just a matter of time before that tire goes bald and you're skidding off the road. So um, if he does come back and that's the case, and this is not um, something that, we're, you know, maybe it's not ligament related, but it sure seemed that it would be based on the non-contact injury that he that he sustained. I'd be surprised if he does come back, if he's able to, you know, make it through the rest of the season at that point. So I think that Titans fans, you really should, if we're being honest with ourselves about the situation, just move on from Taylor Lewan as an option in your mind for the Titans at left tackle this season. Moving on, speaking of IR, the Titans put offensive lineman Jamarco Jones on the IR yesterday. He's been MIA for a while now. I don't, this shouldn't shock anybody. 
And then moving on to the full Thursday injury report, a couple of did not practice uh, yesterday. Ugo Amani with an ankle did not practice, but Dupree did not practice with that hip injury. And Ola Daini, once again, did not practice with that seemingly nagging neck injury for him. Yeah, he's continuing to deal with that from the the week leading up to the first game of the year. Um, he continues to he, he's playing through it, but it, it's still nagging for sure. I again, we we speculated at the time, and based on the way that it continues to bother him, I'm gonna continue to guess that it's probably a, just a pulled muscle in your neck. Which one of the few injuries that I think we all can relate to when you pull a muscle in your neck or your shoulder. It takes a long time to heal, especially if you're continuing to try to play uh, elite football at, at, a, at a high level with that injury. It, it's probably going to continue to nag him for a while. With Dupree and his hip, we don't know what it is. Vrabel said in his press conference, th- press conference this week that it's not something that they think is going to be long term. However, Dupree absolutely has to be out there for this pass rush to work. We've talked about this in length. Go back and watch our episodes earlier this week. We, we discussed this quite a bit. Dupree has to be back, and he has to be back soon. Ugo Amadi, I think, is an underrated loss for them. If he's not playing, that is, this week, he's going to make the coverage situation for the Titans even more difficult if he's not out there. Moving on to the limited uh, participants in Thursday's practice. Hamstring City. Hamstring City. Kristen Fulton, Dontrell Hilliard, and Joe Jones, all limited with hamstring injuries. And then an interesting addition to the Thursday mm-hmm. injury report, Zach Cunningham limited yesterday with a knee injury. Now, this is interesting because he was added yesterday to the report. He was listed as limited. However, because he sustained that injury in practice, you would assume because he was added midweek, um, we don't know whether or not that's really a DNP. Like, so if he practiced for 30 minutes and then went down with a knee injury and was done for the rest of the day, he is still listed as limited because he did participate before the injury. I think today, Friday's report will be telling as to how serious that knee injury is if he's limited again, which means the injury is not bad enough to keep him off the field still practicing in some capacity, or if it's bad enough that he's a DNP today and doesn't doesn't practice at all. Fulton Hilliard and Jones, the soft tissue injuries continue apace for the Titans. Pretty ridiculous at this point. It's either incredibly bad luck or there's a systematic issue here with the way that the Titans go about their their training situation. Um, Fulton has to be out there. I mean, I said Dupree has to be out there, but Fulton even higher on the list. Fulton is a absolute must. If he's not out there, I think the Titans like he it's hard to say that a game rests on the shoulders of one player that's not a quarterback. But him not being out there is going to make this game significantly more difficult for the Titans to win. Moving on to the Raiders side of the ball on this Thursday injury report, a couple of DMPs, Josh Jacobs dealing with an illness, most likely will be out there on Sunday, but something Mm -hmm. to monitor. Something else important to monitor is Hunter Renfro suffered a concussion in last week's game and has not played yet or has not practiced yet this week, something to look forward right. to to seeing later today. Trayvon Morig with a hip did not practice once again on Thursday. And Denzel Perryman also with an ankle injury did not practice. Yeah, so Renfro is the biggest name on there. Um, just period. He's the, he's the best player on that list of DNPs, but he's the biggest name that I think is most likely not to play because he 
is still in concussion protocol on a Thursday. Um, and we don't know the Friday report yet. That will be the final nail in the coffin. If he's a DNP on Friday, then he's certainly not playing just based on the way concussion protocol works. On Thursday, if you're still a DNP with concussion, odds are you're not playing. So I'd say it's more likely than not at this point that he's not playing, um, which is good news for the Titans. Obviously, you know, it's one less elite receiver for them to have to deal with in the, the, the already questionable secondary that the Titans are running with at the moment. Him not being out there will be big for them. Um, and I think that's really the only guy on here. Jacobs with the illness, he'll be back. A couple of limited guys also for the Raiders. We had Andre center Andre James with concussion coming back to practice in a limited fashion yesterday, as well as uh, defensive tackle Bilal Nichols with a shoulder injury also practice. Another name uh, came off the injury report was Chandler Jones, who did not practice mm-hmm. on Wednesday, if you saw that, but that was because of uh, just giving him a rest day, gotcha. kind of veteran rest day, but he did uh, return fully on Thursday. All right, that's JT with the news. All right, it is a James Foster Friday, and that means we got James Foster of A to Z Film Room here on the show with us once again. He's here to preview the Raiders game as well as look back on some of the film that he dug into from the Buffalo game. Um, James is fantastic as always. I think this is the best interview we've done with him so far, and we love having him on the show. So let's get into it. James Foster of A to Z Film Room. All right, James Foster is back with us on a James Foster Friday. James, how's your week been, man? Week has been pretty good. How has yours been? Great. Incredibly busy. And uh, there's been no shortage of things to talk about on a short week to cover the team in between Monday night and Sunday, especially coming off of such a disastrous loss. Um, I'm sure you've had a chance by now to take a look at the tape. What was your biggest takeaway or couple takeaways from the Monday night disaster in Buffalo? The biggest takeaway is that Aside from the offensive coordinator, receivers, um, the health of the defense, Ryan Tannehill, I know that this offensive line will be a massive hindrance uh, for you know any kind of however you define success for the Titans, whether yeah. that's making it to the playoffs, uh, them you know rallying and getting back to two and two. Like the offensive line is going to prevent them from doing what they want to do. That's the biggest problem, biggest roadblock for this team in your eyes is just the offensive line play. Yeah. I mean, you can't look, they average 0.86 yards per carry on toss attempts. And, you know, like that's just one example, but it, I wouldn't personally design an offense that uh, is, that lives and dies with the running game, but that's the situation that they're in. And, they are currently dying with the running game. Right. And and, and that's something I, I wonder, do you think that there is any path for them to, I mean, aside from just the Titans coaching staff, coaching up this group on the line and improving over the course of the year, as they've tended to do in the past, is there any way for this team to improve mid season in a significant enough way for it to, to matter down the road? Yeah, I think on paper the the offensive line could be an okay run blocking line. Um, you know, you've got Nate Davis, Aaron Brewer, Ben Jones, Nicholas Petit Friere has actually been, you know, arguably their best run blocking offensive lineman. So I saw today he's the sixth ranked PFF run blocking lineman in the league so far. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, left tackle is just going to be a weak spot. Dennis Daly is awful. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I don't really ever see the pass protection getting to a high level, but I think there is room for improvement uh, in the run game for sure. So so are you team Dennis Daly at left tackle for now, or would you prefer them just roll the dice with Raidens and see what happens? Yeah, I would, I would probably go with um, – I think I would go with Dennis Daly for interesting uh, for the first like for the next few weeks. And I then see. if it got to a point where this where the season was over, I would go with Dylan Radens because honestly, it would be like for if I was in John Robinson's shoes, it would be like, all right, let's say they're 0 and four, just hypothetically. I would be okay, we've got Dylan Radens. We're gonna play you for the rest of the season at left tackle. And if we're not impressed, then I'm cutting you next off season yeah. or this off season, however you want to uh, frame it. So like, that's what I would do um, because Dennis Daly is 26 or 27. And I watched his entire damn near every snap of the season last year. And uh, like, I just, I don't think that there's really any, any untapped potential there. Whereas with Dylan Radins, like he, was a really good athlete, 34 inch arms. I remember, um, you know, tape, uh, in college was really good against bad competition. So it's like, I, I really liked him as a prospect. And so theoretically there is some sort of upside there and there's a non-zero, uh, percent chance that he actually develops into a, a starting, you know, caliber, then why not roll with him now? Why wait? But at this point, they if right that if if he's going to be on the roster and you can't put him in the game, then it's like either cut him or he's either like a part of the future or he isn't. You know. But you still again you wouldn't just go ahead and start him at tackle asap. You'd wait until the season was over. Probably the here's the thing is when when there's players that we haven't gotten a ton of. Uh, looks at like Dylan Radins has played, you know, probably 150, probably like 200 snaps in total. That's not a very big sample size. And so the less, the less tape I have access to on a guy, the more I'm going to just defer to the coaching staff's opinion because they like these people are not only watching them in practice, they're sitting there grinding practice tape and right. like, I, 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 they have just an infinitely better idea of what Dylan Radins is as a player than I do. And, you know, I know for whatever criticisms, I think most of the criticisms of John Robinson and Mike Vrabel this week have been valid, but like they're not incompetent. Okay. And no. so they're, they're, Mike Vrabel is um, capable of watching an offensive lineman and, saying whether he's trash or not like and (laughs) they clearly just do not trust dylan radins um and so that leads me to say yeah he he must like really be bad yeah well let's let's look at a different element of the team than the offensive line which is just there's really no optimism to be had in that department as of now let's look to the wide receiving talent Traylon Burks has been one of the only bright spots for this team through two weeks. Does he already look like the best receiver on this team to you? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. It's so hard with Traylon Burks because he's absolutely um, looked really good, like 
leads the uh, leads all rookie receivers in yards per route run. Uh, much smaller sample size than a lot of the other guys. I don't. I don't really understand. I watch him run block. I watch him uh, run routes. I watch him play the ball in the air. I watch him uh, produce after the catch. I don't understand what more Traylon Burks needs to do. I don't to either. Earn, but but clearly, earn more snaps because yes, I. I when well, the way I'm Vrabel talks about him in press I'm not exaggerating. You heard? I mean, he just doesn't. He like every time he mentions him in a press conference during the week, it's always well. We're just looking for you know better work in the pass blocking game, or we want him to do a better job running through guys, pass after catch. Like he never, he refuses to say a positive word about him in press conferences, and it's just confusing because the production seems to be there. The I mean, the goal should be the goal needs to be uh, for the Titans to get to a point where in a three receiver when and when they're in a let's see 11 personnel right their three receivers are Traylon Burks, Robert Woods and Kyle Phillips 85 90% of the time right when they need a breather then you bring in Westbrook, Cody Hollister, all those guys um and so obviously like they're slow playing that and they as they always do with the rookies right um you know and it's also kind of hard to like evaluate Traylon Burks cuz a lot of his a lot of his actually most of his production i mean he's just it's kind of either been like blown coverages or just a huge hole and zone and like a ton of space after the catch um and that's not a criticism it's just that he's kind of been gifted a lot of you know easy opportunities right. and he's made the most of them but you know when I, it's like i would love to just maybe see ryan Tannehill uh just throw up like a jump ball for him you know even mm-hmm. For me, I mean, if that got intercepted, if like Ryan Tannehill got intercepted throwing like a relatively accurate jump ball to Traylon Burks, I really don't think many people would criticize them. They'd be like, at least you're getting the rookie involved, you know? Right. Another question on on the Traylon front. What about his game? I mean, like you said, it's been tricky evaluating a, a lot of these Titans players, in my opinion, at least, just because these games have been so busted in a lot of ways, especially last week. What sticks out to you for him that you you see on film and say, okay, there, there's an element of his game that he's still really refining or still kind of behind the eight ball on? Yeah, so I can actually, there are kind of two big problems that I had with Traylon Burks, and I think he has, um, bef- like during the draft, and I right. think that he has um, pretty much wiped out my concerns about one of those and I'm still concerned about the other one. So the first one is uh, beating press coverage. He's Mm -hmm. had some beautiful releases off the line of scrimmage. He's, you know, he's perfectly capable of playing X, which, you know, just for everyone listening, X receiver is the one that's lined up on the line of scrimmage. And so that's going to be the team's number one receiver and they're on the line of scrimmage. So they're getting press coverage because there's just a closer distance. And so the X receiver um, it's going to be, a, it's a lot more important for them to be able to release uh, that yep. time where he just got hawked by the Giants player, mm-hmm. uh, really good release on Aaron Robinson, um, where I had the other area I had concerns was uh, his ability to create separation on, you know, by making quick route breaks. And I still like, he had a contested catch on like a deep curl um, against Buffalo. And I think it might've been against uh I think it was against Dane Jackson before he got injured. And um, 
you know, just when I watch them like run kind of in breakers or they don't really have them run a lot of outs. Uh, he's just a little bit slow out of his breaks. And I, th- I think that's just kind of an athletic thing. Like he's, he's just not going to be somebody that wins in that way by he's not going to win in the same way that Kyle Phillips wins. Um, I find it really weird that they haven't gotten him involved with like jet sweeps and, mm. um, you know, kind of gimmicky stuff, just cheap, like easy ways to just get, the get ball an athlete in, in space. Now, right. You watch, I think I was listening to the athletic show, uh, football show and I forget what team they were talking about, but Robert Mays, um, had like a great analogy where he was talking about some offense and he was like, there's so many just like built in BS ways of like getting yards <laughs> in their offense, right. you know, where it's just like, I just want the Titans. To, it's like, just put the ball in the air, down the field, get, draw those cheap holding calls draw the pass interference. It's like, you know, they, I'm, I'm getting on a Todd Downing, a uh, sidetrack rant here because that's what I'm working on right now. But, well, we can go yeah, into man. that if you want. I mean, that was one of my next questions was your thoughts on Todd Downing in week one versus week two, what you want to see from him, maybe what you did see from him. Was there anything redeeming about his second outing? Yeah, so the thing that I think people misunderstand about um, play call, about you know evaluating play calling is that 80 to maybe even 90% of what an offensive or defensive coordinator calls throughout the game is just pretty standard routine stuff that probably like, you know, every other team at some point ran that week ran, you know, something similar to that. So it's like um, you have to, you have to kind of zoom out and look at it in a broad scale and look at it in terms of um, tendencies and trends. And so for example, I don't really think it's a valid criticism to just take some random first down play with Cody Hollister and be like, Oh, well, look, they're telegraphing. It's a run. But I think when you look at it over the course of last season and this season, and you look mm-hmm. at early down run rate um, and the fact that running the ball is just pretty much proven at this point to be less efficient than passing in the modern NFL. And, you know, they're so there's like, there's philosophical issues like that where it's like you can't analyzing it just on a play by play or even game by game basis um, kind of misses the point. You have to look at it with more perspective than that. Um, there's all, and then there's kind of another category. There's like, so that's sort of the philosophical issues that I have. There's another category that I call just like general dumbassery with Todd Downing, <laughs> where that's it's so just, funny. Zach Lyons has an article coming out tomorrow on on Todd Downing that is called how to avoid dumbassery. Okay. You know what? <laughs> this is a side note, but so I tweeted out that like 10 reasons, 10 things I hate about Todd Downing. Yeah. Unknowing. Like I hadn't apparently like uh, Zach was planning something like that. That was the then, name of this article before he changed it to how to avoid right, dumbassery. No, so me and him were messaging about that. And then I think <laughs> he said, he, he said, I changed it to dumbassery. So then what I just did is I stole his saying. <laughs> you, yeah, you did. I'm, I'm going to make sure he hears this. He's going to oh, send definitely. you a cease and desist. <laughs> um, but, you know, that stuff like some people would throw in the, the Chiga Conquo sweep in there. Yep. Um, I think, you know, stuff like not going away from the toss when it's clearly not working. Yes. Um, not, not giving, you know, Dennis Daly gives up a sack to Von Miller. And then the very next play, 
you just have them out on an island against Another Von island. Miller again yep. with no chip help, no tight end help. And guess what? Von Miller pressures the court, um, gets around the edge with a ghost move, slaps Ryan Tannehill's arm on third down. He had pretty much a touchdown uh, that got wiped away by that. So, you know, it's it's really just a, a perfect combination of of bad play calling here and then bad execution here. And then you get a combination of bad play calling, bad execution. Okay, this is a nice play design, but uh, Aaron Burr gets pushed 10 yards back. Or like, right. oh, if man, if they would have, you know, ran like split zone here against this front because they had this blocked right. So it's, it's you know, they're just never on the same page as far as getting the execution and the play call right at the same time. Let's look at the Raiders game, which is where our focus is. We're coming up this weekend. First time this season that the Titans play on a typical noon window Sunday game. I'm going to be kind of refreshing in, in that way to have them play with the rest of the league and, and, and not be on Monday night or in the afternoon, but it's a big game for both teams coming in. zero and two, both teams feel the pressure of zero and three looming for somebody. And uh, this is a Raiders team that's coming in that, you know, is arguably even more desperate than the Titans, just based on the division they find themselves in, which is the polar opposite of the situation the Titans are in, in the AFC South. What is it about this Raiders team? That's going to be difficult for the Titans. What, um, I, what are the most dangerous elements of this Raiders team, the things that could really screw the Titans over and, and cause this to go the wrong way for them? And what are some of the weaknesses of this roster? The The biggest issue is Devontae Adams. I think, Shocking. Um, that that's your yeah. yeah. I mean, coming off that performance against Stefan Diggs, I just, I sort of have this image of, of Trey Avery in my head. It's like a, a premonition, right? Mm-hmm. That's, is that seeing the future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The premonition of like Sunday's game, just uh, Trey Avery in his back pedal, looking kind of awkward. Devontae mm-hmm. Adams just sprinting full speed at him. Bam, double move, 60-yard touchdown. Like if Trey Avery's in the game, that's what's Is that like happen. play number one? Yeah, something 15 like minutes that. on the clock, and then so yeah, that's, that happens. I mean, yeah, coming off that Devon or that uh, Stefan Diggs performance, Devonte Adams is the clear number one concern for me. Yeah. Um, I think they have to have Fulton back, or else it really is just going to be a, a, a redux of Monday night. Well, they've got to have Fulton back, or uh, you know, there's things that you can do coverage wise in terms of clouding the coverage uh, towards his side. But you mean there are things you can do other than just putting Trey Avery on an island with an elite wide receiver? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna um, I'll relay that to the coaches. I would say the biggest sort of strength that the Titans have versus the Raiders is actually the Raiders and the Colts, interestingly enough, are two of the only teams that are still playing the sort of defensive scheme that was so popular in 2019 where the Titans had so much success. Like the Colts and Raiders lead the NFL in single high coverage usage. And so right, this is this this is the scheme that the Chiefs historically have just eaten on, correct? No, this it's uh Shanahan, McVeigh, and then uh Vrabel kind of brought in, you know, Matt LaFleur and was basically like, Hey, can you just like uh run the Shanahan offense or the McVeigh offense? No, I mean that? I mean the defense that the Raiders and the Colts are still running. This is the this is the defense that Mahomes and company have just murdered for years. No, like this is the defense of 
where like play action under center murders because oh you get they play with a heavy box only three defenders deep um you know so what does that mean for a play action heavy offense what what, well, what allows that's what i'm to... saying like this the the raiders and the colts are probably the two best matchups for the titans offense schematically so hmm. i wouldn't be i mean i definitely you know have some some overs uh over bets placed on the titans you know first half first quarter i think you may be the only person stuff like doing that. that yeah well hey when everybody's down that's where you got to find the value you got to zig uh, the rest of the yeah absolutely exactly uh so yeah i don't be surprised if if just the Titans offense kind of has a, a bounce race back here. performance. Okay. But you know what? Like given the way that they've looked, I'm not going to be surprised if they just lay an absolute egg either. So, so hang it. on, let's, I want to, I want to get, I, I want to get the listeners a, a closer look at what you mean exactly by the single high safety coverage that, the, that, that these two defenses run. What is it about that? look specifically that is so advantageous to an offense like Tennessee's. Um, so can I give you a two minute answer to that question? You may. All right. So let's rewind back to when the Legion of boom in Seattle was the best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like 2012, 2013. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks with Pete Carroll were playing they would basically just line up every single snap with Earl Thomas as the deep safety. You'd have uh, Richard Sherman and whoever was opposite of them mm-hmm. and press uh, and press coverage on the outside receivers. And then you would have the box safety. Um, what's his name? The hard hitter in the box. And they would either play cover three or cover one, uh, which, you know, cover three is going to be you're dropping into the deep thirds uh usually you'd have some match principles cover one is just going to be straight up man coverage with one deep safety you've got three you've essentially got three defenders in the secondary with these sort of coverage shells so what that means is that you've got eight defenders in the box and then when you run what you had is that when there's a successful defense like the legion of boom was all the assistant coaches um get hired to other teams and they're like hey can you run this this defensive scheme and then obviously they don't have all pro you know personnel at every position so Mm -hmm. it's not as successful but you have all these coaches like shanahan mcveigh lafleur um popping up around like they were all on that 2014 washington Mm -hmm. uh r words uh coaching staff and their strategy was basically we're just going to play heavy personnel, line up uh, under center, play action, get the linebackers to bite on the play action, and then you get this huge void in the middle of the field, and we're going to run all these, um, you know, kind of simple like two-man shot concepts, whether it's Yankee, Burner, Ryder. Obviously, they all have a bunch of different names in the playbooks. Um, And so, you know, that's just sort of part of the kind of push-pull and the, the constant evolution of how, offensive schemes and defensive schemes are are you know constantly trying to innovate and like outclass one another um and so yeah like the the shanahan mcveigh offense was just a cheat code because teams were playing so much cover three and they were um they were committing to stop selling out to stopping the run way more than you know like really made sense to in today's nfl and um you know, as teams have kind of stopped doing that, the Titans have had less success running that sort of 
offense. Um, and so I think, like I said, the Raiders and Colts are two teams that sort of play that throwback style of defense that the Titans offense is designed to beat. That's a great answer. And that's what makes James Foster so great. And that's the reason we keep bringing him on. He's fantastic. Thank you, James, for your time each and every week previewing the Titans game. We enjoy talking to you as always, and we'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Peace out. All right, my favorite segment of the week, the Best Bet Gauntlet. We are here ending out our week, ending out our Friday, and this is I'm I'm excited for this. JT, how excited are you to get into our Best Bet Gauntlet? Actually, a little <laughs> bit more than you think because okay. this I'm 5 and 0 this week. I am roaring back. You are you I'm, checked. You're already 5 and 0. I'm I'm so confident this week. Okay. Well, you I need it even... bad. I know. So let me let me remind the the viewers, and we actually we do have we've been talking about a graphic for this for two weeks. I do in fact have a graphic, so it will be out either today or tomorrow. This weekend we will have the graphic with all of our bets on there and uh, our our season to date bets as well. So I am six and four on the year. Pretty good start for me, making money. JT, an astronomically bad start at yeah. two and eight, which is yeah. hilarious. And I think karmic retribution because, again, yeah. JT had an unbelievable year last year to start, went four and one over and over and over like five weeks in a row. So he's giving, he's really just giving me the head start that I clearly need. Um, and it's a long season. So JT, gonna need a bounce back here. You know, the tides will turn eventually and it will become more tight. But because you lost again, you get the first pick. So who is the first team that you want to pick in this week's week three draft of the best bet gauntlet? There's like this week is like the first week that I feel pretty confident. Like, I feel like I have a way to go on each game. Like I'm seeing each game. And I'm, I'm seeing like, the board could, clearly. I'm seeing the board clearly. Last two weeks have just been, there's been so much parody these first two weeks. It's mm. been absolutely wild. I feel like we haven't seen a crazier two week span in the NFL in a long, agreed. long time. Entirely agreed. Um, so, with that being said, I'm going to do something probably pretty crazy along that line. And I'm going to okay. go, I'm going to go Baltimore minus two and a half at the Pats, I believe. Yes. I, I hear everybody saying why would you pick that bill belichick just has lamar jackson's number blah 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 but i mean he's playing so far with an mvp caliber season and i'm gonna continue to bet against the pats when mac jones is under center to be honest well i think coming off of that loss in miami last week oh for sure bounce back spot for them they looked good in that loss and they're i'm sure furious over it yeah, even even if the even Baltimore's down a couple cornerbacks, I mean, Mac, it's Mac Jones, you know. <laughs> I'm not I'm not too worried about and it. Not and not quite I, the same weapons as Miami exactly. there on the other side of the ball. I, I, All right, I'm, I'm confident with that one. All right, so you got Baltimore minus two and a half uh, as a as a slight road favorite there. I'm gonna take a road dog, the Atlanta Falcons, getting a point in Seattle this week. I just think these are two teams that are pretty bottom tier in the league, but I think they're trending in opposite directions. And I've been significantly more impressed with Atlanta through the first two weeks than I have been with Seattle. They, you know, Seattle looked good in that first game against Denver, but Denver, I think, has proven themselves to be a lot shakier, at least so far, than we anticipated them to be coming into the year. So in that first game, they, you know, played really poorly. 
it was clearly the Super Bowl of the year for the Seahawks, and they wanted that game so badly, so badly. Um, and and they they won, and then you know they totally had a, a massive letdown the next week against another divisional opponent when the uh, Jimmy G led 49ers killed them. So, uh, and then on the other side of the ball, the Falcons have had two games where they've been a lot more competitive than I think I expected them to be at least that opening game where they led and then falconed at the end against the Saints they looked impressive for three quarters and then last week against the Rams they almost came back and won uh, on the road I believe so I think Atlanta is the better team they're the feistier team I have more faith in their coaching and their weapons give me Atlanta getting points on the road yeah I like that one Definitely. I've, I've been seeing a lot this week, just like talk about Marcus Mariota kind of feels like it kind of, this is his final chance. You know, he's getting one more chance to just ball out, you know? And I feel like he's going to continue against a pretty, so so far a mediocre run of the mill Seattle defense. And I really don't think they have many options on the other side of the ball. Of course, either DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett will probably get locked up by AJ Terrell, who's very mm-hmm. good once again this year. But yeah, I like that pick. Moving on to mine, I'm going to take another road favorite and kind of already doing a switch up on what I did last week. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the Chiefs minus five and a half. We have seen this Colts team two weeks now. Just not dumpster fire. <laughs> it's really been a dumpster fire. And I think the Chiefs come in here looking to continue their winning ways and just kind of put the hurt on the Colts. I, to me, I think this is a maybe a 10-point game for them winning by that. Give me the Chiefs. I like it, especially, you know, betting the Chiefs even as a, a pretty big favorite in September. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in September are really dominant. Speaking of really dominant, my second overall pick, of the week three best bet gauntlet. I'm going with the Bills minus five on. Are they on the road? Yes, they are on the road in Miami. Um, It's going to be a great game, I think. And I think it'll be a high scoring game for sure. The total reflects that. Um, But I'm just going to continue to bet the Bills at this point until I see them not kill somebody. They've they've looked pretty much identical in their first two games. They play, you know, hung with the the Rams rather hung with the Bills for a half and then got killed in the second half. The Titans hung with the Bills for a half and then got killed in the second half. I kind of see this going the same way, and I think that they are the hottest team in the league right now for sure. So until I see them not kill somebody, I'm going with the Bills and all of the points. Give me the Bills giving five on the road. As I as I look at my board right now, uh, it seems like I'm gonna have a popular theme this week with a lot of my picks, and uh-huh. this one is gonna be no different. It's it's a little bit of a different reasoning though. I'm gonna take another road favorite in the Rams minus three and a half. You're playing a dangerous I, game. I am playing a dangerous game, but this one, I mean, if you haven't been, if you're not like caught up in pop culture or whatever. Call of Duty beta comes out this weekend. <laughs> it's a great point. I love it, actually. Just kidding. This is not and a dangerous game. This is a great game. This is a great game. And I'm betting on Kyler Murray putting up better stats on his KD in Call of Duty this week than he will be on the field. Give me the Rams minus three and a half. They've always seemed to have this number anyways. I mean, I I kind of just have this image in my mind of last year's playoff game. Mm. I think it's going to be a lot of the same. 
All right, so you're taking the Rams giving three and a half at the Cardinals. I will take I'll take a dog here. I'll take another this is a road dog, actually. The Texans giving three points, excuse me, getting three points on the road in Chicago. Again, picking an ugly matchup here. Two teams that are pretty bottom of the barrel in the league. I've just been, once again, more impressed with the Texans. It's it's actually, now that I say it out loud, a pretty carbon copy matchup, I think, to that Atlanta matchup. Again, the the Bears played their week one, kind of felt like a Super Bowl for them. Um, they knocked off the Niners in the kiddie pool up there in Chicago, and uh, it, it was a big celebration for them. And then they came crashing back down to earth against the Packers, who still own them. Um, I, I think the Texans, on the other hand, have not won a game yet, but looked more impressive than I expected them to so far in their two games. I think that they are a classic. It's by the way, Lovey Smith revenge spot. Hello, Lovey Smith bringing his boys up to Chicago. First time back, I believe, as a head coach. He's going to um, want to to you know show out in his uh, old his old digs there in Chicago. I think the Texans are like the lowest ceiling competent team in the league. I don't think that they're a dumpster fire of incompetence anymore. I think that they have competent players. They just have a really low ceiling. So they're the definition of a pesky team. Very Lovey Smith brand football. Give me the Texans getting three points on the road. For my fourth pick here, so far I'm not very flashy this week and Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to continue with that because I need all the wins I can get here. (laughs) Um, currently being two and eight but one game that really stands out to me that feels like the line should be a little bigger is the 49ers at minus one and a half here i like this pick a lot i would me, this if you hadn't taken it yeah on sunday night football to me i mean it just feels like they're still kicking the tires in uh denver trying to get that offense to start going mm-hmm. you still looked at the red zone trouble that they had last week against a pretty run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-road Texans defense, and now yep. you have a very stout 49ers D coming in. Just, I, I think I think the 49ers win this game pretty much outright, so give me that line there. Well, and I like, I like the Niners better. I think they're a better team with Jimmy Garoppolo than they were with Trey Lance, so um, I like that I agree. a lot. I, I think that line kind of confusing makes me wonder if it's a trap but i'll let you take the trap um i'm gonna go with this is my least favorite least confident pick of the week i'm unlike jt i don't feel like i'm seeing the board very clearly this week um this like i like my first three picks a lot what i'm left with here i don't love any of this but i'll take we've bet the titans both of the first two weeks i'll bet them again this week just because you gotta think there's a bounce back coming they're a, a, a home dog, just basic betting principle 101, home dogs. Gotta love home dogs. Um, it's a conference matchup. Titans getting two points at home, 0-2, desperately need a win. Now, obviously, their opponent does as well, but I, I think this is a bounce-back spot for them, and again, I don't, I don't love it. I, I'm not going to put a ton of money on it. But based on what I have left on the board, they're the only home dog remaining, and I'm going to roll with that. For my final pick here, I thought about 
disrespecting Commander Carson once again. Once again? Okay. Uh, for a third third week in a row. I'm one and one right now. You are one and one against Commander Carson. Commander Carson. We'll keep but running tally gonna, on that. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here, and I'm going to take the Motor City Kitties at plus six here oh, on the perfect. road. I love this. Okay. Against the Vikings. Um, I, it's going to be a shootout. I think this is going to be the game of the week to watch if you love offensive football. Okay. Personally, I, I think I think both sides of the ball really want this win because they know that they both legit have a chance right now, at least two weeks in, to really make some noise up there in the NFC North. And I, I'm just very high on this Lions team. So give me give me the Lions. I love that you picked the Lions getting six points because I'm going to pick the other side of the ball in that game. Give me the Vikings giving six points to the Lions. I, I hate to do this. It makes me feel bad in my in my gut um, because I love Motor City Dan, the MCDC and the Motor City Kitties. They're our team, obviously. So fun to root for. However, is there a more dangerous player in the NFL than noon Kirk Cousins? I think not. And I also know watching that game on Monday night after the Titans game, the Eagles handled the Vikings, but the Vikings played one of their poorest games. They just they had a couple of things go very wrong for them. Nothing was clicking on offense. I think this is a big bounce back spot for them. And uh, I, I still have faith in this Vikings team. I'm pretty high on them. So give me the Vikings giving six points. So just to recap, JT has four favorites and an underdog. He's going with Baltimore getting to giving two and a half Chiefs giving five and a half. Rams giving three and a half, the 49ers giving one and a half, and then his lone underdog, the Lions, getting six. I'm going with a couple of favorites and three dogs. My favorites are the Bills giving five and the Vikings giving six. And then my dogs, the Falcons getting a point, the Texans getting three points, and the Titans getting two points. So those are our best bets for the week. That's our best bet gauntlet for the week. Before we finish the segment and finish the show we have our uh the return of our uh, community parlay on the best bet gauntlet segment we didn't get to do this last week because at the time of recording the uh the game on monday night there were no props out for the same game parlays they they wait until the end of the week for those but because the titans are back on sunday at noon we have those and we have a four-legger here that we want you to ride with us on we put some thought into this here are four picks in the titans raiders game First pick, Derrick Henry, anytime touchdown. Relatively safe pick. Um, I, I like the odds of this run def- or run offense rather for the Titans getting back on their horse a little bit against the Raiders. I don't think their run defense is all that special, and I think if they get into the red zone, Derrick Henry will manage to punch one in. We also like Derek Carr over 224.5 passing yards. Um, he has gone over 250 in both of his games so far. We know the Titans secondary kind of suspect so far at least. I imagine with the weapons he has, he's going to be passing a good deal and uh, get over that number relatively easily. We're also doing Darren Waller over 49 and a half yards. Now, we thought about doing the over for Devontae Adams, and that seems like the obvious pick. But what the Cardinals did last week to Devontae Adams was the game plan that really allowed them to handicap that Raiders offense, put them in a bind and ultimately come back and win the game. They held Devonte Adams just to just two catches on the game and it allowed them to come back and win and I think the Titans may end up looking at that and seeing that as their game plan that they're going to copy this week if they have Christian Fulton back which it's trending in that direction I think they may just try to lock down Devonte Adams and make somebody else beat them 
So we didn't love that over, but I do really like the Darren Waller over. He's gone over 50 yards in both of his games so far this year. So over 49 and a half is uh, on trend for him. I also think the loss of some guys in the secondary for the Titans who either are going to be focusing on other players like Devontae Adams on the field, as well as guys like Ugo Amadi, who were the safeties on this team that, that the Titans love to deploy as those uh, up safeties covering the tight ends and the slot receivers. He he may not be out there. I don't think he's going to be out there this week. And so I think that Darren Waller is going to eat against this Titans zone. A lot of underneath passing that, that he's just going to rack up four, five, six targets and get over that 50 number easily. The last number, and if you listened to the episode so far, then you know we talked to James Foster about this. This game, I think, is going to go over. And he's, he's convinced me that it's going to go over. Um, it's going to be a higher scoring game than many people think because of the defense that the Raiders run. The single high safety looks that the Titans are going to get is going to lend to a lot of points scored. And so we're going over one and a half touchdowns each team. So each team total touchdowns over one and a half. That gets you to um, a total of plus 350 for a four pick same game parlay. So Derrick Henry, anytime touchdown. Over 224 and a half passing yards for Derek Carr, over one and a half each team total touchdowns, and over 49 and a half Darren Waller receiving yards. That's the plus 350 parlay. Ride with us on that one. That's our community parlay, and that's our show for a Friday. Hope you guys enjoyed a three show week. A lot of content out there. We're going to be back, of course, first thing Monday morning with an episode recapping, reacting, reviewing the Titans Sunday game against the Raiders big one must win feels like for both these teams even though it's still September it's still still feels like a must win for both of them and so the Titans are going to come out swinging I'm sure check that out first noon game of the year for the Titans back to some regularity in terms of your Titans viewing schedule before you go a couple of things I need you to know if you have not subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts Spotify Apple that's where most of you are coming from please Subscribe to the show. Like, what are you doing? You, you'll get the show. You don't have to come search it out each time. You don't have to click the link each time. It will just be in your in your feed mailbox, and, and you can just watch the show whenever it comes out. So subscribe, of course, but then go and leave us a five-star review and write us a note. We, feedback is a gift. We appreciate your feed, get feedback, and um, the 10 seconds that it takes you to leave a review means so much more to us than it than it does to you. You can literally write anything. You can just leave a five star if you want. It's very helpful. So please do that. And we appreciate you. Um, if you are not already a Broadway insider, you got to become one. You get all this great content that we're putting out behind the paywall. You get the Mike Herndon show in full, which we did yesterday. I'm the executive producer there. It's a great show. You have to go check it out. And you can only get the full show in video or audio form if you're a Broadway insider. Just the price of a cup of coffee a month. That's all it is. Um, so you, you definitely want to get that for the Mike Herndon show, as well as all of our articles that are behind the paywall and our early access. Um, so, so become an insider today, go over to the site and you can uh, get the annual or the monthly subscription for, for it's a very affordable price for some really great content. If you haven't checked out our other podcast this week, obviously we had two pods earlier this week on the hot read. We had the Mike Herndon show come out yesterday. We have the best of Broadway debuting tomorrow. It's going to be the best of all of our podcasts in one place on all of our flagship podcast feeds tomorrow. Um, the best of Broadway episode. You'll you'll learn more about it when you look for it on Saturday morning and listen to it. You'll understand the concept, but I think you'll really like it. Whew, that's a lot of selling. That's a lot of words. JT, have a good weekend. Enjoy the games. I think we're done here. 
Until next week, this has been the Hot Read Podcast. I'm Easton for JT. We'll see you then.